Hello and welcome to Me The Stars, the podcast where each week I, Luke Anthony, delve deeper into the career, life and mental health of the stars. On this week's episode of Meet the Stars, I'm joined by comedian and author Spencer Brown. Spencer was a member of the Cambridge Footlights, has performed stand-up all around the world and presented lip service with none other than Holly Willoughby. But most recently, he has authored two books. His first, The Rebuilding of Tom Cooper, which is an excellent book. I've read it. I loved it. And most recently, he also wrote The Lockdown Diary of Tom Cooper, which is also an excellent book too. In this conversation, we have a great chat about the two books, his career and everything in between. So please welcome to the show, the comedian and author, Spencer Brown. Spencer, thank you so much for joining me on Meet the Stars podcast. I really appreciate your time. Hey Luke, nice to nice to be here. Nice to be here. Well, we've spoken. Was it about a year ago now since we spoke? It was in real life, wasn't it? it was um, in real life, and the world wasn't so bad then. Yeah, it must be about a year ago. It wasn't this like started right at the start of this year. When did when was Rebuilding first released? Because it was a couple of months after that, wasn't it? September. So it was October, November, November. So it, yeah, so just before about a year ago. Oh, there you go. A nice little reunion. Yeah, strange times. <laughs> Let's reminisce. Yeah. Let's not do a new podcast. Let's just reminisce about the first one. Yeah, that's a, yeah, exactly. Like a best of <laughs> a best of commentary of, of um I remember when you said this. Yeah. Um for for the listener, I I do another podcast called The Comedians Out League where I speak to I like the fact that you did that singular for the listener. Yeah. Well, it's, it's important. It's important to let them know that I'm speaking directly to them. And for them. Oh, okay. Yeah. I see. I see. You were singling them out individually rather than just absolutely. Applying. So when we when we spoke last time on the other podcast, we spoke a lot about the rebuilding of Tom Cooper. I absolutely love that book. Just just for the listener of this, uh, the listeners of this podcast, just briefly give us an explanation of the rebuilding of Tom Cooper, your first novel. Okay, so the so the rebuilding of Tom Cooper, I guess, is so the I think pretty much this is not a spoiler. Pretty much on the first page. Tom uh, finds out his wife has has left him, and he's not quite sure why. And he's left with you know two kids to look after, and just decides uh, you know after being down in the dumps for a little while, just decides he's going to get his life back together. So decides to try and get a new job, meets a new woman, tries to become a better parent. Lots of jokes. Lots of jokes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, as... yeah, that, but with lots of jokes. Absolutely. Well, it was. It was a, a. I really enjoyed it. I've read it for a second time now in preparation for this chat, and it was. It was really. I really, really enjoyed it both times. But this time, I picked up a few other things on it, and one of the things I really, really enjoyed about it this time round was I, I really felt the the Bridget Jones. You know, the, the, you know, it's been described as the the Bridget Jones for men, and I just kept thinking this would make a really good film because the character Tom Cooper, you just really got on get on board with him and and really relate to the things he's going through because most of us have been through breakups or difficult times or times where we felt inadequate or unattractive and that we, you know, that sort of existential crisis that we go through sometimes in life. Yeah, well, I think I think there's a real lack of portrayal of sort of normal in inverted commas men you know in 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 the media you know there's a lot of very bad men around there's you know a lot of very toxic men but i'm sure many people disagree with me but i think there's a lot of quite nice men about (laughs) who all have you know their own difficulties and you know their 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 faults but they're sort of the faults of an individual that's not really to do with their gender yeah so i just wanted to 
have a character that was, you know, that, that I guess that represented that and that, that a lot of people could relate to. So hopefully it sort of, you know, brings up aspects of masculinity and male life, you know, like, you know, how, what it's like to be a father, what it's like to get older, all these kind of things, but with, you know, in a, in a way that is relatable, is, you know, as well as being funny. But I think that's, uh, I think that's what allows it to be funny, you know, because, because I think you buy into the premise of, of what he's going through, because it's the kind of thing that other people, you, you know, you'll go through yourself. And I think even, you know, it seems to, the weird thing is the book seems to have been very popular with women as well. They're probably more popular with women than it has been with men. Not that I, men haven't liked it, but just that I think um, men are less inclined to pick it up because it, you know, it's not a, not a sort of Lee Child book or a sort of, you know, the stereotypical male books. I don't know if women have um, enjoyed seeing that sort of portrayal of a man as well, but yeah, people, it's, it's, it's nice the way it seems to have gone over with people. From what I've read from it, actually it empowered me as a man, weirdly. Uh, there's a lot of, sh I find there's a lot of shame to being a man at the moment with, you know, perhaps, you know, our elders or our parents or their generation that, that had slightly old-fashioned views on, on what, it, what it means to be a man. And I, do, I mean, it's, you still get it today in, in certain settings or workplaces where, where you can't let anyone see the weaknesses in you or see the emotion or is somewhat unpopular to to really care about someone or want to go and spend time with your your partner because often in in such egotistical and um, masculine conversations we're, we're almost made to feel bad about wanting to spend time with our uh, you know someone or wanting to fall in love or wanting to to be emotional or to to be honest about how we feel about things and and from reading the book it's naturally you naturally feel like you're looking into a mirror at times and you think yeah i went through this i went through that but i never i never told anyone that and i think i mentioned it to you before there are moments of the dialogue and, and the narration from it's written in first person from Tom Cooper's point of view that you feel like you shouldn't know that about him you, you feel like you shouldn't know <laughs> those thoughts about him and but, but but that's because we've been primed to be like that as men to, to think that no, no no this is going beyond that wall that we put up in front of people because we have to keep this false barrier between us and an emotion yeah yeah I, I think it's it's weird for me I think because I think I've always been very much outside that and you know obviously I'm not, I'm not 20, so I haven't grown up in a world where, where, where none of that was around. But even, even when I was growing up, I think, you know, like in the, in the 90s and stuff, it was, I think there was a lot of, you know, that was all, the new man thing was already coming in then, wasn't it? And, you know, the, the, all, that, all that kind of stuff. And I think I, think I probably absorbed that <laughs> with, with, with very little uh, critical uh, process as it, as it came in. And I think I've always been sort of, pretty in touch with my emotions. I, th I think that's also just something something that's sort of inter interested me. And I did a philosophy degree and I think I was, uh, I think I was partly doing that because I was interested in psychology and didn't quite know the difference. <laughs> yeah, so, so for me, it's always, that's something I've always sort of tried to be open with my, myself about. And, but I think a lot of men do have difficulties with that. And it's, for, for me, it's, it's nice to be able to sort of, you know, bring that, that side of me out, I guess, and into the into the world through the character and through the through the plot, and um, hopefully, yeah, hopefully, it allows other people to realize it's okay to be like that. So that's good. I'm, I'm, that's that's great that you uh, got that from it and uh, felt that sort of positivity.
I'm very pleased to hear that. Yeah, absolutely. Because I, I relate to that side of it because I've always been someone who is in touch with their emotions and sometimes often too much. And, and you know, it, it doesn't make you very popular in certain situations or, you know, it, there's also negatives to being too in touch with your emotions or, or being too reactive to situations. And, and you know, it, it's, it's something that I, I hugely relate to. I just, I guess, I guess we all feel that element of pressure to be, to be like that, that sort of weird archetype of a man that, that you, you know, we, the media has previously sort of portrayed to be. And, and it's, it, it was just, I just found it quite empowering to listen to, to read, sorry, to read a book that completely breaks that, that stigma and, and it is very modern in that sense and, and has a very modern outlook. I think a lot of the, you know, we're told that the media always portrays these sort of outdated men, but I don't know if you, I don't know if you remember that Gillette advert that, that, that was out and got a lot of criticism. I mean, the thing I thought when I watched that is how dated the actual advert seemed. And I found that quite weird. You know, they, they had someone like, you know, in a sitcom, like, I don't know if she was, he was staring at a woman's boobs or slapping a bum or something like that. Yeah. And it was just like, sitcoms can't be like this anymore. It's like, sitcoms haven't been that like that for 20 years, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, a low, a low was probably the last thing that was like that, you know, or something. I don't know. I don't want to cast shade on a low, a low. I was, I was, I was a big fan in my youth. I just feel, I think we're also led to believe that that men haven't really evolved over the last number of years and uh and, you know and people want to want to p- portray us as sort of still you know back in the place that we're n- i don't think we are anymore and i don't think the culture is generally anymore i think there's outliers for, for me the reason that often often these people are having to you know who, who, who are toxically masculine i think you know as people say have, the reason they have to sort of operate behind the scenes is it's universally condemned and universally accepted that that behavior is not okay anymore it's not it's wrong so so i don't know i i, I completely agree with you uh, in terms of it's you know it's nice I, I think it's important to see positive portrayals of men and um, emotional portrayals of men but i also think we, we, we're sort of told to, told that the, the way that men are portrayed is, is something that is actually i think changed a lot you know, we're, 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 and people are constantly referring back to a sort of very dated version of what we think about that. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. And one of the things I didn't ask you last time we spoke was how biographical was the rebuilding of Tom Cooper? I have a wife. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I have managed to hold on to her and she is she, she's not not showing any signs of, of leaving <laughs> yet. So uh, so in in that way, not very but at the same time, I um, you know, a lot of the kids' stuff is sort of inspired by my kids, you know. Also, I think it's it's interesting. I, I, it's not so. A lot of it isn't biographical, but it's at the same time, it's sort of almost like if I was in his situation, how would I cope? Yeah, there are definite aspects of me brought into it, but it's um, but it's, yeah, I, I, you know, at the moment, everything's going very well and very lucky to have to you know to live my wife and be happy and to have have kids and but yeah I guess part part of yours worries how would I cope and I think this this book is a sort of so maybe it's maybe it's a shout of sort of optimistic view of the men who are worried about (laughs) ever getting dumped about that maybe they'd be okay so maybe but then there's also there's you know there's autobiographical instances there's a lot when we move on to the the new book, you know, there's a lot of that was sort of inspired by my lockdown experience. 
so yeah i thought i yeah I, to be honest it's you know it's about two over two years and so you know finished the the first one so it's i can't remember <laughs> <laughs> well you can certainly you can certainly feel your personality and heart in in tom cooper that that definitely runs directly from your soul right into his writing and and because i've met you and i I sort of know you. I I kind of picture you as him. Do you know what I mean? But just purely because it's so it's so it's written so emotively and so personally. Some things you you read are first person, but they don't go through. <laughs> when when do we ever walk into a room and point out every element of the entire room? Sometimes when you read first person narrative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the character is still pointing out that everything's in a room and really in real life that doesn't really happen we just see what we first see and taking what we think. yeah we'll, we'll, see, we'll see what's significant yeah. to us, i think yeah it's 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 interesting isn't it because because i think the tom cooper books because they you know they're they're meant to be funny books so they can't hang around too much on a descriptions unless you know unless those descriptions are funny or in you know in some of the more emotional bits and unless they sort of add to the mood for that I think it's very much as, uh, you know, it's designed to capture the thoughts as they would actually be where, you know, and I, and I think generally we, we see a lot of, particularly contemporary books, we see a lot of them through, their, through, through our own lives. Like I can see various locations in the book and I know they're locations where I've been, but I, but I'm, I, kinda, I have faith that I don't need to describe them, you know, exactly because people have equivalent locations where they've been and that's what will become the location in people's head you know there's something in nlp i think isn't there where there's um do you know nlp i've yeah i have heard of it yeah yeah so it's like neuro-linguistic programming that's you know just something it's not not something i'm into but it's just something i read a bit about a few years ago but it's they talk about basically i guess vagueness you know the way that that when you're sort of it's a sort of form of semi-hypnosis sometimes is that the, the vagueness can actually be quite helpful because it allows people to fill in their own gaps, and it's and it's a case of sort of draw, you know, you know, kind of treading a line between um, between vagueness and specificity, you know, to to allow people to create their own images in their head. Yeah, I've not really read much into it. I've only heard the term before, but I do I do much prefer that, and especially as somebody who's creative myself. I often get turned off from reading novels that are too descriptive because I've, or, or too narrative-driven in the sense that you, it's very fixed in the way that the narrative works and it's very clear in the writing or, you know, this isn't, now this is happening, now this is happening, now this is happening, now this is happening. Yeah, yeah. And I find myself trying to finish the book as a creative, whereas with Tom Cooper, it was one of those rare moments that I was able to just enjoy the book <laughs> and read yeah. and and literally and just absorb it and 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 be like a very receptive to the story and i think for me that that's that's one of the things i loved most about it was that i didn't i didn't feel that i was competing with a narrator of competing with a writer i felt that actually i was just learning about a person's point of view or something and and that and that was something that i really picked up on in in both books and we'll get on to um the lockdown diaries uh, diary of um Tom Cooper in a bit. Yeah, no, I think it's, but it's, 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 it is interesting, isn't it? It's, it's, I don't know if there's a, I've got, I've got a couple of points maybe that may be relevant on that. I, I don't know if it's also because we're so used to, um, you know, we've got so many things competing for our time now in a way that, you know, I was, I was listening to, who was it? Sam Harris maybe or something saying about how he's finding it. I don't know if you know him, the, the kind of the philosopher guy does a podcast, but he's, uh, he was saying about how he's finding it difficult to read a book and reading's always been there central thing in his life nearly and i think it's true of all of us i think it's so much more difficult to um 
to read than it used to be. And, you know, I'm finding, so I, I absolutely love reading, but I'm, I'm finding I have to, to actually get into my, read my novel properly at the moment I'm reading. I, I literally have to leave my phone in a different room, ideally downstairs, so that I'm not just tempted to pick it up and have a look at something that I'm, you know, interested in about, you know, a random, random fact or something. And it's just, it's, it's so destructive to our attention that I think, I think maybe uh, a lot of, you know, it's, books need to sort of, if they're going to continue to be a form of entertainment, something that read, people read for pleasure, they're going to have to adapt and actually be, be immediate and be, uh, but, then, but then again, at the same time, I think it's, I'm not sure if it's necessarily always good writing to be overly descriptive. Obviously it's, uh, you know, it, it can show a great deal of skill and, you know, if someone's a brilliant yeah, in in the in the truly brilliant writers who describe things, you know, in in a, in a way that's po- almost poetic. Obviously, it might be worth reading. But I I I've read a couple of books this year. I read that might be relevant. I read a book called The Majors by John Fowles, which is an absolutely amazing book that I'd never heard of. I just found a copy in FOP for two pounds fifty, and it's it absolutely blew my mind. It's like read it's from nineteen. 19- 57 or 63 something like that and it's and it, it's like reading watching lost or something it's this mind-bending book and again he's very he's a brilliant writer but he's so succinct with his um descriptions he just gets in gives you an amazing description and gets out and gets on with the story and at the same time and, and jane austen i read as well for the first time this year and again just amazingly immediate and gets you into the the jokes and the, and the story it's uh, yeah so i'm, I'm just not I'm not convinced that people who describe a lot are always the best writers. <laughs> no, no, I think I, th- I think that's very clear. And, you know, even people like J.K. Rowling, who's an incredible author, absolutely brilliant. But, you know, even even she admits in a couple of her books that she's been, you know, a little bit over the top with the, the writer. And she's sort of the queen of queen of uh, the modern modern writing as well. So, yeah. so even the best or even the most popular are, you know, are also susceptible to, to moments like that where you can be over descriptive. But about yours, though, you mentioned there about um, reading competes with the fast moving of technology and constantly checking your phones and, and things like that. We're all the little red icon that pops up on social media when, you know, and you're as a push notification, that red icon's always there to tempt you back into the app. You know, it's, it's, it's purposely made like that. Yeah, and it's it's so unhealthy, and, and that, that's something else I was listening to. Someone saying, "You've got a computer, you've got a log, uh, sorry, logarithm, an algorithm that can, you know, that can that can beat Gary Sparrow in chess, and that's who you're competing against to to try and get your attention away from it." You know, it's the technology is just a a master of you know of, of, of drawing you away, and you know, it's not even specific. It's just using sort of stats and patterns. It's, it has no idea what it's doing, but it's it's you know. It's almost unbeatable. You've really got to work hard, I think, to, to get away from it. Yeah. With the writing process, you know, to, to give to give the listener a little bit of an, uh, of an idea, Spencer is also, is, is also a stand-up comedian and performed all around the world. And, you know, comedy, live comedy is a very, is, is a very immediate reaction you get. But when you're writing a novel, for example, you know, there's many months or even years of writing that without any sort of you know live response from the audience how much different did that feel to you to be writing that you know the first novel you, you know your debut novel i liked it because i think because you know you you, you write a, you write a joke in a day and you know that you're that evening you might be <laughs> you might be seeing that that joke is that no one else finds that joke funny apart from you it's very difficult not to just be thinking about that i think and just going yeah i think that's funny but you know i'll try that tonight i'm pretty sure that's funny but at the same time you know writing a book you're 
you don't because you don't have that you i guess it forces you to connect with yourself and the whole time you're just thinking thinking about whether you find it funny and it allows you to connect with yourself i think in your own sense of humor and i find myself Often when I'm writing, I find myself trying. If I if I find myself smiling or laughing when I'm writing, I know I've sort of got it. So you know, and and I like the fact that I guess it's not a group experience reading a book. So if it's if it if it's its own thing, that only you know one in five people is going to enjoy. That's still okay. That's a that doesn't mean you've died. That means you've just written a book for specific people. Whereas you know, if one in five people in a crowd laughs at something, you've uh, you failed, and it's pretty obvious you failed, as I'm sure you've uh, discovered and, and experienced many times, as I have. Yeah, more, more more often than I'd like to have, um, to be honest with you. The other point on that, actually, is is that with, with writing a joke in one of your novels, that even if it isn't funny to certain people, that is just an added line that moves the story on anyway. So Because it's yeah, part yeah, of yeah. a narrative, part of somebody's personality. It's authentic in that sense anyway, because if if Tom Cooper is that person and he has that element of sarcasm in, in certain situations, then that's just character building anyway. Whereas on in a stand-up set, when you're trying to... If you tell a joke and it dies on his ass, it's very difficult to move on to the next joke in a smooth way. Whereas in the book, yeah. you can just you can just write, put it in and then move the story on where you need to anyway without that that moment of you know like you know, a tumbleweed moment in in a comedy club or something well yeah exactly if you're if you're in a comedy club and the joke doesn't work the question is why are you there <laughs> why <laughs> yeah. are you speaking you know whereas you're completely right i think it's what, why i prefer watching i like doing stand-up but i prefer watching sitcoms to stand up you know because if you're not laughing it doesn't matter you're watching a story and then the and it means i find that the laugh sort of blinds blindside me a little bit more whereas i think i don't know i, I guess it's from having done stand-up for so long whenever i'm watching a set I, I don't know if i'm too much of a technician but i'm like going yeah well that's the setup you know not not that's what he feels or <laughs> that's what she that's what she thinks i'm like that's the setup let's see the punchline you know it's so i'm never absorbed i think in the in the setups you know I guess certain people manage to yeah. you know break break that down you know where they have like you know where 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 I guess the setup itself is funny you know like it's someone like Bill Burr or something you know where he's just ranting and and he, you know the punchline is just a sort of you know a cherry on the top of his attitude I guess yeah or, or often a tool to move it on to the next thing or or something to call back to later on that gets that applause break or something yeah I think you've just answered a question that I've had about myself for ages about why is it that I can watch a cheap sitcom or a cheap t- you know film or a comedy rom-com or something on TV and enjoy it whereas I you know I really struggle to sit in a comedy club and watch comedy without performing you know I can just absorb the the sitcom I can absorb the story of like a sitcom even if it's not a particularly good story or even if it's one that's been you know Hollywood, you know, it's typical Hollywood um, yeah, 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 yeah. packaged film that's just been put out, and all the all the laughs are in the right place, all the jokes are in the right place, everything's there, all set out in, in almost like a, an algorithm that's been pre-planned and and just you know cast. I can still enjoy those programs, and I don't have to deconstruct it because I know the cookie that I'm dealing with. Whereas with co- with live comedy. You're constantly trying to work out why is that funny or why isn't that funny? Why didn't that work? That's a brilliantly written joke. Why didn't they laugh? And things like that. And it's quite stressful. Yeah, but I, th- I think that's, uh, I think, what you, you, you know, like for, for normal people, by <laughs> for normal, normal, I mean, people, the muggles. I mean yeah, I, I mean, people who aren't stand up comedians, that's, that's, uh, that's what I'm saying as, is as specific. 
abnormality here. For normal people, it's they're just they're watching it and they're listening to someone speak. You know, they 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 and then so the joke is a surprise. You know, they know it's a comedy club. They know it's meant to be funny, but they don't know sort of. They're not thinking. I guess they're not thinking about it the same way as us, and that's that must be why they enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. I'm not even going to try and understand it, to be honest with you, Tom. But um, you also then the pandemic hit. We had that conversation. Tom Cooper went out. The, the first you know, debut number went out. Absolutely brilliant. You were going to write something different, and then the pandemic hit, and you started writing a blog online. The lockdown diary of tom cooper the way i think it was called the coronavirus diaries wasn't it yeah it's called the coronavirus diaries yeah. At the time, yeah and so tell me about the i tell me the process of writing the blog through the lockdown i don't know i had the idea and i thought this is something that i think would be funny and because i thought i was looking around and i, I was finding a lot of a lot of what was going on funny and also i think i think at the start of the uh at the start of the first lockdown it was very difficult to think of anything else i think you were you you know i don't know if you were you were like this but i was always you know checking my phone all the time where everybody's just trying to get a get a sort of you know an idea of what was happening and trying to make sense of everything so i think uh, I, I kind of was finding it very difficult to concentrate on the other book i was working on and it was just like okay i'm <laughs> I better write something saying the lockdown. I thought it'd be great to uh, sort of mirror what I was going through through the, you know, through Tom Cooper who, who, from the first book. I think I think it was probably quite good for my uh, my mental health <laughs> having uh, having an outlet and just doing it. So I just shut myself upstairs for a few hours a day and then write basically. While you know my wife did some uh, was doing homeschooling with the kids downstairs and stuff. And yeah, uh, and then I'd take over for a bit and, and get really angry and then uh, go and write again. <laughs> it's, a, it's such a it's such an interesting thing because a lot of comedians and people in the media have alluded to the fact that well everyone everyone is going to, you know the, who's who's going to get the coronavirus as the next title on on TV or the next sitcom or something like that with coronavirus. So how did you contest with that element of things where instantly COVID nineteen became this weird hack? Thing that people had very quickly written most of the jokes that could have been could have been around Corona. Oh, it's like the beer. Oh, very good, and it just became very very hack very quickly. And so, ha- so how did you contest with making it even more original than than what? Yeah, I don't. I, I guess it was never about the thing. Is like I think when something comes out, you know, you know something happens, and comedians start you know posting those little Facebook messages with a. Where, where they've changed the background so it looks more like a thing, you know, but it's basically a joke. You know, it's often, like you say, it's it's people are dealing with, you know, the words or the sort of very superficial ideas about it. You know, like like you say, you know, maybe making making a joke about Corona being a beer, beer, I don't know what that would be, but sounds hilarious. Uh, <laughs> but but um, but yeah, I, I think I think mine. I, I knew it was never going to be that. It was always going to be about behaviour. It was always going to be about. I'm not saying deeper in the sense of profound, but but just I guess deep, yeah, deeper in the sense of actually looking at sort of the manners of you know like the, the, the manners of, of of the of the time, and also about how people were reacting to it and. You know, I don't think that's something you could do in a in a in a in a, in a one liner or in a little post. Maybe maybe you could do it in a in a in a long long stand up set where you got deep into it and told stories. But I don't think anybody. I didn't. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm. I'm not, I, 
you know, I'm not, I'm not generally on Facebook very much, but maybe I just didn't see it, but I didn't feel that anybody was doing that. Yeah, no, absolutely not. And I don't, I think, I think almost by people being so open like that in public, it almost prevented people from actually doing something like, like um, you know, like a, a diary of, of the coronavirus. Because one of the things I found really refreshing about reading the lockdown diary of Tom Cooper is those moments that we all experienced at that time. So it differently, slightly in contrast to your first book, you for, for the coronavirus diary, sorry, the, the lockdown diary, you you dated each of the chapters and each chapter was yeah, a yeah. day or a week or a couple of days. And you as as you're reading, you, you've got this true account of somebody that was going through it at the time of these things happened. So even from before the lockdown got called across the the nation, that almost that awkward moment where we were navigating and um, social distancing or um, cleaning our hands or those moments where we weren't really sure what the etiquette was yet. There was no real rules in that. And I yeah, yeah, and yeah. I think whilst we all experienced those things simultaneously, you found a way of making it unique and different. There are moments in that book where I hadn't experienced anything like that. So I don't want to give any spoilers away, but the 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 that competitiveness that people had in in a community <laughs> in in like a block of flats. I didn't experience that in my neighborhood, uh, maybe because I don't live in a flat and it's not quite as condensed as what somebody who's at, looks out and look, looking out on flats where everyone can actually see you. So I didn't have that experience. I didn't have any yeah, yeah. altercations with the people in public, but yeah. I was fully aware of them happening because obviously speaking to family and friends on Zoom calls and, and virtually or listening to the news every day, things like that, you, you get to learn about it. So one of my favorite parts about it was that it doesn't matter if everyone's been talking about COVID-19. This is Tom Cooper's account of the coronavirus and that makes it authentic. Yeah, it's like an individual experience of it. And I think, yeah, also, I'm, you know, I live in London, so I'm sort of, uh, you know, not a very densely populated bit of London compared to a lot of it. But I'm used to being around a lot of people, I guess, and, you know, being in busy supermarkets and being in, you know, walking around streets that are busy and things. So... Yeah, I guess, I guess it is a probably a different, you know, it's going to be a different experience. But yeah, again, you just hope that that is that is interesting to people because and seeing which bits of it overlap with their own experience and which don't. It's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting because the books are out here, but but it's uh, you know, I, I, I was thinking it'd be interesting to try and see if it can make any inroads into the states and stuff because I mean their experience must have been so different. But but it's. Uh, the same time, I think I'd be interested to know what an American's experience was like of uh, of lockdown and what an Italian's experience was like. You know, so so maybe there is some universal appeal to the uh, specificity of it. Yeah, no, that's totally true, and I think I think also it, it gives a very British account of it. That that very I, that not only is it about being in a busy place like London that is it's very saturated with people. It's also being, you know, we're already locked indoors with that one hour face to go out and exercise every day. But to be in a block of flats and not have your own garden yeah, yeah, and yeah. also be a single father locked in, still doing your job full time. I couldn't, I mean, I, I felt bad that I didn't have like a back garden. And yeah. it, <laughs> when you read something like that, I can't imagine being in, in that situation where I, I, thought of, I thought of it at the time. I thought of it at the time. I thought, imagine if you lived on Oxford Street. 
Completely, yeah. Just to say as well, one thing, uh, just to slightly change the subject, one thing I was just thinking about when you were saying, when you were talking before about writing it during it and dating the dates. It's interesting when you mention that because I, I, I don't know if I'd be able to write the book now. And, you know, and I don't think, I think I'm very glad, you know, having written it at the time because I feel, because it is what was happening at that time, you know, and it is, and I, I even feel like looking looking back at you know newspapers and trying to work out how it all fit together now would be nigh on impossible because it was everything was changing so quickly wasn't it and it was all um just between day to day as you as you as you discover new things and uh, so so yeah I'm, I'm really glad that i did actually sit down and write it at the time rather than uh waiting till after and trying to get it done because um yeah just i don't know if i could have done it not in any way that was accurate or realistic yeah retrospective writing would be quite difficult i think i think it's what well, i think what's also weird about anything that comes out you know even we spoke personally about it off air actually i think i don't think i don't even think it recorded it but about stuff that i've been working on and and see it comes in and a, a sort of drama comedy drama that i'm writing now I, thinking about writing stuff that is set around now or writing something retrospectively is a way weird thing because i don't think you can write anything without referring to it some of the concepts and Things that I, I, you know, I was hoping to face, or the difficult issues I was trying to face in, in the stuff that I've been writing, can't be mentioned without considering what everyone went through the with the with coronavirus, because that the element of mortality and that nobody nobody is immune to this, nobody is immune from dying from this virus, and I think I, I don't think there's certain things that you just can't write about without accepting that you're going to have to make some sort of reference to it happening because it just wouldn't be believable it's it's tricky isn't it because i'm the book i'm writing now i'm sort of ignoring it so i've gone the other way but having written i think having written a full book about the uh coronavirus i'm now thinking i don't i i feel like i've done that and i don't want to have people in masks and i don't want to have have that and you know hopefully by the time it comes out we'll you know in 2021 we'll all be out of it and it'll sort of be set then so but yeah, I don't know. It's tricky, isn't it? Because it is a part of, very much a part of people's lives at the moment. It's very pervasive. But but yeah, I don't know. That I, I, it's that's a that's a really tricky one. That's interesting that you feel like you need to put it in. I, I, yeah, and I I've consciously gone. I'm not going to do this because I'm because I think I've already done it. I've, I feel like I've said everything I want to say about that, and and I don't you know I don't even care that if this new book is like. You know, in an alternative 2021, when uh, <laughs> where the coronavirus didn't happen, but everything else did. You know, it's but it's 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 yeah. It'd be interesting to know as well how how much readers and viewers will um, tolerate it in a non-coronavirus specific, you know, book or or um, or sitcom. I guess what I mean, I don't I don't mean making it like a, a central arc of the of the story. I mean more about. You know, alluding to it in a conversation within the characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think I think that's the only way. I think that's the way I would do. I wouldn't make unless unless we're having to wear masks forever, and that's a thing that for four or five years to come that we're just going to have to do it. Then I don't see I don't see how we can avoid it. But yeah, yeah. My my aim really is actually to just bring it up in conversation. I, I don't know. Is that is that good enough? Is that something that is is enough to, to make people understand and to accept that you've you've made comment to it or or what? Well, I don't know. It's yeah, it'd be interesting to see what, what um 
what the sort of consensus is about that in about a year, year and a half's time or something, and see if everything, everything, if it's if it's if it's always there or if people just want to move on from it. I don't know. That's it's been interesting, even with the even with the book coming out actually, because it got you know ended up getting launched in a new lockdown, you know, so which was both bad and good at the same time in terms of bad one hundred percent in terms of it being a lockdown. I absolutely hated the second one more than the first, but yeah, in terms of you know in terms of in terms of people, do people want to escape from it or do they want to laugh about it? It's 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 tricky. You raised an interesting thing there for me because. Interestingly, I found the first lockdown a real breeze. Yeah. Whereas the second lockdown, once you've been allowed to go out with the eat out and help out and be able to start, in, uh, you know, integrating again a little bit and seeing family and, and to, you know, living something that wasn't normal, and I hate that word now, but something that was a little bit closer to, you know, just feeling like you, you have an element of freedom again. But when the second lockdown came, that's the one that frustrated me the most. The first one, we didn't know what we were dealing with, but this time I know exactly what it is. And and it's just it's just frustrating because you don't you you know you I think it's more I think it's more agonizing in the sense that you don't know you, you, you know that there is an end to this potentially, or there is a possibility that we have something that gives us an exit strategy. But it's almost more agonizing because of that, that you know you're close but not quite close enough yeah yeah I, but I've, I, I do you know what? I think a lot of it was actually the weather I really think yeah that's a good point I, I really think I don't know I think I think it's it's mentioned in the, in the in the book actually that he talks about how uh how it's just sunny day after sunny day and it's just like as long as it doesn't start raining this is going to be okay <laughs> this is going to be something we can get through and it's looking back on it it's I think that was really true actually it's just just it was just uh, you know it was an it was an absolutely amazing spring in England this year and it just made you know you went out for an hour a day it was a great hour you know it was just like everything just seemed pretty then you could it just yeah the world just seemed like a great place outside you know and it just kind of reminded you know looking out your windows seeing the sun it was great but like just this november one just <laughs> the weather was terrible you know, not being able to have bonfire night all these things that we sort of that get us through the winter it just uh yeah, awful. Yeah, absolutely. So t- tell us a little bit about how you went from your coronavirus diaries as a blog to cherry picking parts of it to create the novel that got released and um, book ended. So it all, I, as soon as I started writing, I was like, this is going to be a book. If I can find enough stuff here, this will be a book. And uh, But then, you know, a lot of it went in, you know, I edited it, obviously, but a lot of, you know, I think I probably wrote about 25,000, 30,000 words or something like that when I was doing it as a, you know, as a blog. And then, and then it's, so it sort of doubled in size. Then I, then I cut quite a lot, well, you know, to get to the 60, 65,000 words, I think it is not a very long book, but it's, uh, you know, I cut quite a bit. But also, also just, yeah, just getting to the, getting to the point quick. And also I kind of thinking about how the pacing of the through lines that I wanted to have. So it was a novel and that there were, recurring characters and developing relationships and things. So I had to sort of sit back and actually think about that because I wanted it to read as a uh, proper book, not as just a series of events. So hopefully that's that's come across and actually come through and feels like a full piece in the story. Yeah, I think I think it was also amazing about when, because I, I also, because I read, because I read The Rebuilding of Tom Cooper just before I, I read um the lockdown diary. I I read it as a continuation of what happened because we all had plans. We all had things that we were going to do 
before you know coronavirus happened we had things that we wanted to do you know for myself there's I was going to spend a lot more time writing and and or or being more creative and, and things like that and then and then suddenly my day job became the most valuable thing that I could ever hold on to so yeah, I kept yeah, yeah. it and I just you know we all had these plans that we had and suddenly this pandemic hit and none of it really matters anymore because we, we've got this different thing that we have to deal with yeah, yeah, that's interesting, actually. Yeah, I get because it's when I wrote the book, I was very much thinking I want this to be a standalone. I want it to be able to be, you know, I, I don't want anybody to, you know, it's probably in some ways it's better to read the first book first because then you you don't have any only because you don't have any spoilers for the first book. Then I guess because I because I thought a lot of people are going to just be interested in this because it's a funny lockdown book, and, you know, which has actually been the um, does seem to have been the case. Like a lot of people are buying it without having read the first one and you know what waterstones have got so you know bought you know so many more copies of this than they did the first one you know and now they've got you know some some of them got piles and things and which which the first one you know was, was there but it wasn't wasn't you know uh, didn't have that many comparatively so it's really important to me that it worked on its own but actually i think it's quite you know hopefully actually reading one after the other does actually have that feeling because yeah this was not this was not going to be the second tom cooper book you know <laughs> This is not going to be what happened. I've got plans for a, for what would have been the second stroke, which will now be the third. But this is like, you know, this is this is just something that happened and had to be done, you know, in the middle of it, which is how it was for all of us, I guess. So hopefully that actually is a representative, uh, <laughs> you know, um, piece of fiction in terms of, you know, as, as a series, in terms of how it actually was. I, I just, I guess my fear is that hopefully, I just hope people will be interested in reading it still after this, passes you know but who knows who knows it is a brilliant standalone book and i could have read it you know from that and i can see why people would pick that one up because it's something that is about is about something they've just been through but i do I, you know the first book is also a fantastic book so i urge anyone who is uh thinking of reading the second one or has read the second one to go back and read the rebuilding of tom cooper as well because it is also a brilliant book and an account of of someone's real life so i do think I say real life, but I mean, I mean someone. <laughs> someone fictional's real life. A, tr- a true account, a true account of what people would be going through, or, or a relatable account of of going through a midlife crisis. Depends when you die. I've always wondered that. Well, why do we call it midlife crisis? <laughs> I think I think you make a joke in it about being middle aged and someone's in their seventies, which means they'd have to live till one hundred and forty. Yeah, the, his mother is yeah. uh, always going on about. Being middle aged, I think I think that's probably inspired by my mother saying she was middle aged, and I was like, <laughs> I think I'm maybe maybe middle aged now. As much as I don't want to be, I'm probably classified as middle aged. I'm not being in the same category as a pensioner. That's not cool. So, with writing the rebuilding of Tom Cooper, one of the things that we spoke about before and, and is quite evident was that writing the novel, as as opposed to doing stand up comedy, writing a novel allows you to be a bit more flexible to help look after your, your children and, and be active, be an active father in that sense. And, and, and it's allowed you to have, have been, you know, maybe perhaps work from home or write from home when you're writing the first one before the pandemic happened. Fast forward, now being in a place, place where you, you don't have the choice to escape from childcare, you don't have the choice to get away from it and to try to do something different than, than, than just the writing. And you have to be in the enclosed space. 
with with children and what 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 began as a benefit how much of that has become something you resent or are frustrated with yeah okay i think yeah i think i get what you're saying so so i mean obviously that was tri- obviously tricky but i think it's you know no in no different a way than it was tricky for everybody you know just you know not able to go to work and not able to do these things i i uh you know, obviously, I do miss you know doing so. I, most most of the time, even when I was you know writing my first book, I'd still be out acting or doing stand up every you know every few one night week or something. Or you know, so you'd be seeing other people. But I think it was more just seeing other people that I think that's what most people found difficult. Really, it's just having having some sort of headspace where you could go and be away from that. I guess yeah, and I guess the other thing with writing is it's just such a such a lonely occupation. Which I, I don't mind really to a certain extent, but you do need, you know, it's nice to feel a bit of connection with people and not feel so isolated. But I think, I think again, I felt that more during the second lockdown for some reason. I guess also the first one was quite novel. It was something not good, but it was new and it was different. So it was not exciting is definitely not the right word for it, but it was definitely, uh, I guess it was interesting in a way. In, 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 in the most boring possible way. Whereas uh, I, not having any escape, I found very difficult in the last lockdown. But also, I think yeah, I'm very, I'm very glad you know that the cafes are open. You know, like it's eighth of December now, so six days ago when they opened, I was just like, yes, <laughs> I can go and work. And and then, I mean, if you're a writer as well, you know, if you and you and you do what I do, which is go and work in cafes and stuff. It, it's like you, you know, the people who work there are almost the closest thing you've got to workmates, really. So it's kind of just nice to uh, to see people and uh, have a so, so socialize in the sense of going, "Hello, how are you? I'm all right. Good, me too. See ya. <laughs> I want a croissant, please. That'd be nice." Uh, that that is pretty much how how far it goes in in a cafe. So uh, in 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 a workplace as well, in an office. So there's not much difference. Although that said, in the cafe I go to most of the time, me and one of the guys, we're, we're very much influencing each other's t- TV tastes after uh, after having both watched The Boys and been massive fans of it. So now, now we're now we're like, try this, try this, try this. So, so we get it's, we've got a bit further in our relationship. Oh, that's good. I'm really glad that you've you know you've 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 bridged the gap between colleague and friend, which is exactly which is great. And I mean, they still have to serve me coffee, so they're not enjoying it very much. But you know, it's, it's good. For me. Yeah, for sure. Sure. How, how likely do you think you are to go back to regularly doing stand-up when when you can? Yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of because I stopped. It's this is why it has. This is the other reason it hasn't been that bad for me. I think a lot of them because I wasn't doing much stand-up and the clubs I was doing. You know, they're getting tight for bookings and you know I get I was getting a few. You know, I'm getting a few and but but it's, but it, but and I could have got a lot more. But it's just would be work you know just be you know how it is it's just you're hustling trying to get gigs and i've sort of lost a bit of my energy for that but that's that said i sort of do feel like i'm i'm missing it a little bit do you think that's do you think that's just having the option to do it you know having that element if i want it i can have it do you think it's that element of freedom that you just want the choice to be able to do it i don't know it's 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 tricky i, I feel like part of me feels like i'd like to just you know write a new set and get out there and also just I, you know, I do like performing, you know, it's been a while since I did a proper big acting job. It was Shed of the Dead, yeah, you know, which is, which is kind of not come to the, you know, it's, it's, it's come to, it's, it's now out in the world, it's been shown, it's been on the horror channel quite a bit and things, so it's like, that is out in the world and it's, it's done, so there's an end on that sort of thing now. But yeah, I just feel like I, uh, 
I sort of miss doing a bit of performing, so I wouldn't mind doing uh, doing a bit of performing and just kind of I don't know. Look, I'm I'm you know I'm here talking to you, and it's you know this is I feel like I'm just very much talking as uh, you know as, as me and having a think about what I'm saying and stuff. Whereas I kind of miss just going you know just going out and going what's what's going on you know just being sort of having the energy and just you know just you know being in that situation where it's where you can sort of have fun and just give out a lot of energy and mess around and stuff so but but also I, at the same time i don't feel like i the world at the moment is one where i want to do comedy like i don't feel like i uh agree with certain boundaries that would be put on my comedy <laughs> <laughs> uh and i'm sure as, i should I, I really yeah i think those comedians as a, as a matter of course are probably not the most suited to our, our, our current time and i think this is you know something like uh, i haven't really watched hannah gadsby's special but i but i but just seeing it from the outside having having the, the biggest comedy special of the last few years being a a, a kind of anti-comedy special <laughs> a con- oh, like a special condemning comedy basically it just seems very indicative i think of, to me of the time that we're living in where people i, I don't think comedy is very popular at the moment and I know people wouldn't want to admit that, but I think it's true. I think I think comedians are naturally transgressive people, and we don't like boundaries, and we uh, we want to cause trouble, and we want to push people. And, and I think, yeah, and, and so, and I don't think that's that's something that's uh, that's very tolerated in the world. So that's that's I think why I'm a bit wary even of going out to stand up now, even though I'd like to. I don't know what you feel about that. Yeah, so that's a really interesting take on it. it is, that's a really interesting take on it because. Because it's often comedy is the most important thing to be doing in moments of difficulty, but it's almost like some of the things that the world is going through, there's no space for it. It's not funny, if you know what I mean, to people at the moment. It's almost that because you're going through it, it doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel right. Whereas if you're doing it retrospectively, looking back on it, perhaps it would be slightly more easy to laugh at it. Well, I think, I, I, I think that's the other difficult you know, I think I said it to someone I was doing an interview about this book, actually. I think, I think you know, there's that thing, isn't there, about uh, comedy is tragedy plus time. And it's, uh, I think, I think comedians, we just don't take any time. We're already there. You know, it's like, you know how it is. I remember people went, was it the 7-7 seven, seven bus attacks or something, people making jokes on stage that night, go, too soon, too soon. It's like, yeah, it's too soon. It's just like, but it's, you know, it's, we're never, it's never too soon for us. You know, I think we've always got this, uh, I think we've always got this slight detachment. You know, I could, there's nothing, there's very few, like, obviously I'm not going to joke about someone dying or someone's pain, but like, you know, there's, there's comedy in everything that's happening now. I think it's just, uh, it's just where, where it is. But, but, I, but that doesn't, the fact that it is funny doesn't mean that most people are prepared to, <laughs> to, uh, to listen to that and we'll, we'll find it funny. I think, I think maybe audiences need more time than comedians, unfortunately. Yeah, for sure. Sure. That's a, a very, I've never, I've never heard it being put like that, actually. But I probably haven't spoken to enough people. <laughs> yeah, this is this is every this is something everybody says to, to me every day when I'm speaking to my yeah. <laughs> my friend. Well, well, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, this hasn't been as fun as a stand-up gig for you, but I'm glad that you've been. No, hey, I was, I was, I wasn't <laughs> saying it. it's it's different, isn't it? Spencer, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for thanks for having me. Spencer Brown, what an amazing chat that was. Absolutely love speaking to him. I learned so much speaking to him and reading his book. So go and check them out. His website is spencerbrown.net. 
and both of his books are available at any of your book selling retailers online or in person if they are open. Join me next week for the final episode of series one. It's Katie Kittermaster. She's an amazing singer-songwriter. So take care, stay safe, and I'll speak to you next week.